This episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies is brought to you by Oxner Insurance. As fly fishermen and outdoorsmen, we go to the ends of the earth to find that perfect fishing hole. We do everything we can to prep ourselves and our gear for a day on the water and being outdoors. But some of us don't stop and think about the assets that get us there or shelter us when we aren't in the outdoors. Let Oxner Insurance help take away your worries and protect those assets with great policies and auto, home, and life plans. Give Jeremy a call at Oxner Insurance today at 775-657-6050 and rest easy on your outdoor adventure. Oxner Insurance, putting shields of protection around your assets. In 1867, Mark Twain once wrote in a letter, Nothing so liberalizes a man and expands the kindly instincts that nature put in him as travel and contact with as many kinds of people. In today's podcast, we visit with our fly fishing amigos in Scotland, Wes Park, owner and operator of Fish Scotland, and David Mateer, a two-time gold medal recipient and holder of the prestigious Scottish Game Angling Instructor Certificate. These two are demigods in the art of spay and switch fly fishing. And they've offered up a bit of time to chat with us about the who, what, where, when, and why aspects of two-handed fishing. We hope you enjoy the podcast, and we also hope after listening, you're as inspired as us to carry the two-handed fly fishing torch. All right, welcome to another episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies. And today... We're traveling across, well, one of the ponds. I don't know if it's the big pond or the little pond. I always get the references mixed up, but we're traveling all the way from Nevada across the other side of the U.S., and we'll hop across the Atlantic, and we're hopping into Scotland. And today we have Wes and David with us, who are our two-handed pros um, that we that we fondly look up to for, for much advice in our fledgling ways here right now in the United States on the two-handed methods. But uh, guys, thanks for joining us. <laughs> That's good. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So, you know, this is our, our second time with US. We're we're excited to have you again with You Fish Scotland. And we're very excited to have you, David. And um, so just since we've already kind of dug in, let's just go around and uh, let us know your your background and your full name. And so our listener can get an idea of who we're talking to here. I'll start. This is Ben. Uh, Wes? Uh, this is Wes. I'm David. And Wes, uh, what do you do? For I've been a fly fishing guide now for 10 years, full time. Um, so we've been guiding everybody from the US to South Africa, Australia, everywhere around the world in Scotland for the last 10 years. So my job would be predominantly a fly fishing guide full time. Great. And uh, you go by, David, you go by Dave, is that correct? Yes, Dave or David, it doesn't bother me, yeah. And uh, your background is very exciting uh, as well with your expertise. Can you tell our listener, expand on it? Yeah, I've got over 50 years uh, fly fishing experience, uh, mainly game fishing, uh, salmon and trout. Uh, I'm a qualified angling instructor, casting instructor with SCIAC, which is a Scottish Game Anglers Instructor Certificate. I'm also on the committee of that organisation. Uh, I got qualified in 2005 um, once I retired with uh, single-handed fishing. Uh, and a few years later, I went to double-handed and uh, during the course of a season, I, I regularly teach either single-handed lessons or double-handed lessons. Uh, again, likewise, I, I get clients from all over the world. Uh, unfortunately, two American clients had to cancel this year due to COVID, but uh, they have said they'll come back this year. So fingers crossed, we'll be in a 
better position this summer. Great. And then we brought the whole bearfish family for this one. And um, we also have one of our very special bearfish members, Jeff, on. Jeff, you want to give an introduction to yourself? Well, thanks for the intro, Ben. I'm new to the crew. This is my second podcast with the guys, but I've been fishing um, my whole life. I don't have as much experience, uh, but just this last year, I switched over to the two-handed rod. So I'm excited to talk about the difference and learn how to fish properly on a two-handed rod. And there you have it. <laughs> so, Me too. Am I next? <laughs> <laughs> Drum roll. Drum roll. Add it in or drum roll. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It, it, and I'm Nico, uh, of course, of, of Bearfish. We've been doing this podcast for, uh, we started in December 2019 as an informational and fun podcast, you know, to reach out to people. That's not, not make it so much technical, um, more about the experience, but from time to time, we we'll like to dive a little bit deeper. And uh, that's what we're doing here. Uh, in my background, I've been fishing my whole life. I mean, ever since I was four or five years old and could ride a bicycle, I would tear out of town and, and go to the local reservoir and try to pull out bluegill and bass and catfish and carp. Um, and I was a spin fisherman for a long time. And the natural evolution led me to fly fishing uh, a number of years ago. Not that long, um, probably about seven years now or so. Um, and until recently, I've been doing single-handed techniques and whatnot and and feeling pr pretty proficient about it. And then uh, got turned on uh, by the two-handed techniques, and that's Wes's fault. So, uh, <laughs> and it, it's it's changed the game. It's 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 a whole new whole new level of fly fishing that uh, I wouldn't have been able to discover or explore on my own um, without being led into it. And I'm fascinated by it its advantages, the fun that it brings, and most importantly, the customs and traditions that are uh, related to it. Um, so that's a little bit about me and why we're here. And uh, again, we're excited to have Wes and Dave on uh, to kind of school us a little bit and tell our, our bearfish crowd what, uh, what it's all about and why, you know? So there you go. <laughs> yeah, so... Um... Wes and Dave, do you guys, um, when, when do you guys use the two-handed technique? Can you expand on it for us? Um, for me personally, um, I haven't really used it in the last year because I only really use it with clients. Um, for personalized fishing, I've gone away from that because I've just, clients have sort of put me off fly fishing for a while. This year, I'm getting back into it for myself. So um, it's, uh, it's, I'll be doing a lot more double-handed uh, fly fishing this year. I am going to do a lot for myself, more so, um, because believe you me, working with 400 clients a year, teaching double-handed rod and working with double-handed rod, you do get sort of fed up with it. It's the last thing you want to do is go back on the river after you've had a frustrating day. However, the one thing I would say to you is, before I pass over to David, because he's the guy you want to speak to about techniques, is learn about learn the history of spay casting. Learn the history. Go back to Alexander Graham Grant. Go back to when it all evolved, what the rods were made of, how they were made, and then look at that technology compared to today's technology. And actually actually go into it. You know, the way it was tuned. Um, Alexander Graham Grant was a musician, he played the violin. So he tuned his rod from butt to tip to get exactly the same tune. He was also a hairdresser. So by splicing the rod and binding it with a leather bind, it gave that perfect bend. So there was no haphazardness the whole way through the rod. Learn about it. You'll understand it a lot more. You'll understand that, you know, the record stood for, I think, the longest I think it's the longest sporting record ever to stand at 110 years is the spay casting for distance. And that was broken by a chap here in Inverness. So learn, learn yeah. the aspects of it. You'll fall in love with it. For me personally, whenever I go out with Jenny or anybody else, they fall in love with the casting. A fish is not primary, a fish becomes secondary. And you can have a good day spay casting if your casting's right 
you can have a bad day's spay casting if you've got pasting and still catch a fish if your casting's bad. So learn the history, how it evolved, and that will get you a lot more fascinated into why you're using that type of rod and then all the casts and all the techniques involved. And David will explain that side. But for me, anything I've learned in a double-handed rod, I take to a single-handed rod as well because it opens up your it opens up your whole fishing aspect. And we get guys from, uh, I would say, Colorado and California would be the prime two where they're fishing smaller rivers and streams. And when they say to me they've been fishing for 40 years, they have been mending their line for 40 years, they have been roll casting 40 years, five feet. So when you come here, um, we are casting, overhead casting, single spay, double spay, jump roll, jump roll casting, and we're, we're bringing our rod tip right up, we're bringing our fly right up to the boat or right up to the shoreline, something we have never done before. So the fly fishing aspect that you fall in love with is more the technique, it's more the relaxation, and it's more what that technique, what that technique produces long term. So, as I say, you can have a really good day's fishing, not catch a fish, because your casting's been really good. You can have a really bad day's fishing, catch fish, but your casting's bad. So, combine, you know, look at the history, look at how you relax, the reason why they do it, and the reason why these casts were brought in. And they're all designed to catch fish and make your life a lot easier. But I'll pass over to David, and David will tell you all about that, you know, so... Honestly, fly fishing in itself, with a double-handed combined with a single-handed, um, using the two on both rods, it will open up your fishing aspect for a lot more, um, especially on the West Coast, California, San Francisco, stuff like that, for steelhead and stuff like that. So you guys have got all the waters. You've got some fantastic waters. Um, once you use a double-handed rod, you'll fall in love with your water a lot more, and you'll fall in love with fly fishing a lot more as well. I'll let David continue. Yeah, it's, it's right what Wes is saying. I, I found when I did my qualifications, um, casting a lot, practicing a lot, uh, these courses lasted for six months, and uh, oh. you do you do get addicted to casting. Uh, hands up, guilty of that. Uh, <laughs> I had to go three, four times a week for at least a couple of hours that I shot, um, or I'll go out for an hour, have lunch, a couple of hours off, and do an hour in the afternoon. It can become very addictive, but once you get it, it's so rewarding. Um, you can fish anywhere. You can put your fly where you want to. You can get further distance with less effort, which is important <laughs> when you're getting old like me. Um, so it's all about technique. It's not about if you're a big six-foot guy or a four-foot-five guy. It's all about technique. Um, so that's what I can say. And, and very briefly, the, the biggest mistake people make uh, when learning to spay cast is that they do it far too quick. They try and go, and it doesn't work. You have to slow it down and be a nice even speed and accelerate and apply power at the right time in a stroke and timing and it all works. Um, moving moving on from that and getting slightly more technical. Um, spay casting you can do with single-handed rods and double-handed, but it's just such a pleasure with a double-handed rod. And every cast, um, apart from overhead, is all about anchor and anchor position. Um, I can go into that more if you want to. Um, if people want to ask any questions, I'll try and answer them best I can. But it's getting the anchors right in the right position, and that is the foundation of all your spay casts. And that's that's a great point that you bring up about the anchoring. Number one, about, about the slowing down. I know <clears throat> I got a great tutorial from Wes on the slowdown, and, and it, it's it's incredible. It's it's against like your physical intuition with fly fishing, especially, you know, coming from the single hand background, you know, like I, 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 I dry, I used to dry fly a lot or when I have the opportunity to, you know, or you're short casting, uh, you know, 25, 30, 35 feet out and you have these, you know, short, quick, you know, you're just you're literally like whipping that line that that transition to two hand 
where I feel like I'm going slower, I could go even slower. Yeah. And and it's it's remarkable how how much slower you can go, and 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 you, it's almost like you have to visualize what your your line and your rod is doing. You know, you have a longer rod, you have a heavier line, and I've learned, especially with these loop rods. And, and it was funny, Ben was there the first time we officially took out. We got a loop Opti next uh, switch rod in a five six weight, loaded some six weight line on there. And before we got in the water, we were like, hey, let's just practice some casts. Good thing there was only like a couple people in the park and no fly fishermen because it was it was like between myself and Ben, we caught we caught the tree behind us in front of us. Like we couldn't figure out. We we're like, this thing looks so cool. And we we're like trying to cast it. And we were, you know, it, it, we could probably jump farther than we could cast it at that point, you know. But it wasn't until like we got we got in the water. And then start getting it out there. We're like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of feeling it. And, it, and it wasn't a pretty picture, but but we instantly felt the difference. You know? It's when we, we slowed it down. The, it, it seems like the, the slower we went, the more responsive, and the further the line went. Right, right. Well, I've got a question for David, just to back up as the newbie. But you're saying the spay casting. Is that is it not? You said you can do single-handed spay casting or double-handed spay casting, or am I wrong there? I I'm, I just want to understand what is is the sing where what is the spay casting? Is it particular to the rod? I thought it really had to do with the rod having the bottom handle on the bottom. No, um, yes and no. Um, you can do, for example, a circle C, um, a snake roll. Um, a snap tee, single speed, double speed. You can do all these with a single-handed rod. But if you're fishing a, a wide river, then obviously the double-handed comes into its own. Um, it's the same casts. Um, obviously, the technique is different. Um, with a double-handed rod, you use both hands and you use them as a team. You use the, the top hand and the rod. Uh, it may be a dominant hand. It may not be. depends if you're right hand up or left hand up but it's the bottom hand that actually flexes the rod. Once you feel it loading, if you pull with the bottom hand, the rod really bends, loads, and reacts to that. Okay. Awesome. And then, you know, we were, we were also, you were mentioning um, about the anchor point. And yeah. maybe, maybe you could speak, speak more to that because I think maybe some people may not be familiar with an anchor point is, or they may have a misconception. Maybe you can kind of give a... A verbal description of, of an appropriate anchor point and why it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, an, an anchor, first of all, understand what is an anchor. Uh, and it's not a big metal object in the front of a ship, as some people reply when asked that question. <laughs> um, anchor is uh, it's the end of your fly line that's in the water, which includes your leader and the fly or flies. Okay, once that hits the water, that's your anchor. Okay, now the anchor um, is very important to all spay casts. Uh, the water grips that anchor, it holds it. Um, so if you try to pull it off, there's a resistance there, which is what you need because that helps to bend and load the rod. So an anchor is very important. Um, fortunately, um, fly casting or spear casting is not an exact science. So your anchor doesn't have to be like nine foot, three inches away from you. Um, it depends on what rod you're using. As a rough guide, um, which is, is very effective, is your anchor should be roughly a rod's length away from you. So if you're using a 12-foot rod, roughly 12 feet away, 14, 15-foot oh. rod, the same distance away from you. Now, that's very important because... Uh, it keeps you safe. It keeps the fly away from you. And uh, the other thing about the anchor, it's very important. It should be facing your target as well. So we, we use a thing called, if it comes back to me, it's uh, three things. It's called the 180 degree rule. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, whoa, what does that mean? Um, basically, 180 degrees is just a straight line. 
So you must have three things going in a straight line. One is your anchor and one is the rod tip. And what mm. joins these up is your D-loop. So that's the three things that must go in a straight line. Oh. If it's oh. not, you have problems. If they are in a straight line, you should be able to make a straight and efficient cast. Well, my question then is with the wind, because yeah. my most difficulty is in the wind. So bringing the line back, um, I can see now you're saying bring it back to where the anchor's maybe one rod length away from you. When the wind's going, we've got how much of that big D behind do we want before we go come back out? And what's the best type of cast for the fishing? Right. Uh, I mean, for the wind, for yeah. the wind. Because no, normally, just to, to paint a little bit better picture for you, Dave, is so, and we'll line this with Pyramid Lake, because on the river, it's one thing, shorter cast, it's it's just, and if it's windy, we're not going to the river anyway. So we're, <laughs> we're going fishing. to, but we're going to, yeah. pier, we're going to Pyramid, and, and it's 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 one of two things. It's it's hitting us from the side, or it's hitting us in the face. You know, so it's hitting us in the face, and I think that's, what the difficulty that we find sometimes is casting into the wind, you know, and maybe for our listeners that, that are maybe trying to two hand, you know, you know, what's your approach there? Yeah, that, that's very good questions guys. And it immediately takes me to uh, the very important issue about fly casting and that is safety and, and particularly our own safety. Now there's specific cast designed for wind direction. Okay, so if you're in a river on the left-hand bank and you've got an upstream wind, you wouldn't want to use a cast where you have a downstream anchor. Ah. Okay, understand? So you yeah. select a cast, if you have an upstream wind and you're on the left-hand bank and the wind's coming up, you want an anchor behind you or beside you um, upstream Immediately, the first one that springs to mind would be a, a circle C cast, where you put your anchor upstream where you are, so the anchor is in wind of you. You can get the picture on the left-hand bank. Um, if you were on the right-hand bank, it would be the same cast, but your left hand would be up in the rod. So when you make your circle C, you've got an upstream anchor. So there's various casts. So always think about safety. What way is the wind going and where do I want my anchor? And select the appropriate cast so that your anchor is always downwind of you. So when you go to make your forward delivery, your fly, if there's a gust of wind, will be blown away from your you, your your body and your face and hands, um, as opposed to getting blown onto you. I hope that makes sense. Yes, so do you switch? So then depending on the wind, are you switching hands or sides? Because that's what's happening. We'll be fishing. The wind will be coming off from the right. And then later, a few hours later, it's coming off from the left. So what I see people doing is they're coming over and they're just doing that same cast, but on the other side of their body. So that, so are, should you be actually switching your top hand or do they just do a side? Uh, you just keep the same one and just cast either side, whichever one's going to be wind safe. Yeah, that, that's a good point as well. Um, the proper way to do it is, is change hands uh, because if you want to become a, a good, efficient caster, you should be able to make all these casts with either left hand up or right hand up. Um, but you allude to using your right hand up but casting over your left shoulder. They call that backhanded casting. Again, that's, it can be effective. Um, it can if you've got a big tree over your right shoulder, you might want to put your D-loop over your left shoulder. Um, so use it handed or left hand up. So you have a choice. Uh, I would recommend that you can use your change hands. Uh, for example, on the left hand bank and you've got a downstream wind. So you want a downstream anchor. So I would maybe take the line in with my left hand. I would then change my left hand to my top hand and I would double spay using my left hand up, bring the anchor up close to me, remember, about a rod, about a rod length away, then sweep up to your key casting position, then deliver. Uh, and if you get to do that, do that. Don't be afraid to try left hand up, right hand up in the right cast, and you will get better. When I'm teaching, everybody 
and it's, it has done some casting almost with without exception. Oh no, I'm not using my left hand. It's a weak hand. I'm not using it. The reason it's a weak hand is because they haven't used it. Once you start to use it, um, it, it can very quickly become more efficient than your dominant hand because it's got no bad habits. There's no bad muscle memory in there. If you tell the left hand what to do and it's not done it before, it will do it. You'll be surprised. Um, a lot of clients, probably Wes is the same, they do one cast with their left hand and the first thing they do is <laughs> turn around and smile and go, I didn't know I could do that. But they're pleasantly yeah. surprised. So yeah. I would recommend if you have to do left hand up, do it. Uh, right hand up, do it. Dominant hand. Try and get in the habit of using both hands because it will make your fishing more enjoyable and give you more options in relation to structures, whether it be a tree, a bush, or a big stone, croy in the river or whatever. It gives you that option to change hands and still enjoy your casting fishing. For me personally, I know I know exactly what you're going through because we get it on the river spay all the time and the wind will change four times in that day. And we've had guys getting cone heads pulled out of the side of their face and it really, really hurts. However, what I do for me personally, and I love doing it, I watch my line. I love seeing the line rip off the water. I love seeing my big D loop or if I can get a V, I'll go for the V. But I'll try, I'll watch my D loop. Because if I know where my anchor, and if I know, if I can see that line rip, and just at that point where I know my anchor's right, I cast. I know I've done it right. Um, so I watch. Sometimes I have to duck because just as you, just as just as you're at that point, pulling in your left hand, the wind changes direction, and if you don't mm -hmm. duck, you're going to get treble coming straight into your ear. So how you, much, you have to be careful. How much line are you? What? I struggle with too. I see some guys that they're getting this cast set up and then they let it go and shoot a whole bunch of line out with it. Are you are are should we be having that loop of line that that we let go and how much should we have? Uh, uh, the amount of line should be what you can you're able to cast. Then uh, um, basically, yeah. Yeah, there's two there's two rules here that really apply. Um, it depends what type of line. One is if you're using that say a 55 foot uh, spay line uh, and there's a colour change between the line or belly of the line and the running line, you want that inside your rod tip roughly 10-12 inches and that helps the rod. Now, uh, shooting head is the opposite. You want the, the colour change outside the rod tip at the same distance. So that's when you get the maximum use of the shooting head because it's it's maybe a 10 weight or a 9 weight, but it's actually short, but it's heavier and fatter um, than, say, a 65-foot line of the same weight, a number 10 or whatever. So that, that's a wee tip. So spay line, bring it inside the rod tip, um, a shooting head or a skadget, have it outside the rod tip, roughly about 10 inches. Yeah. Are they both the same effect in the wind? How will that affect the wind? Um, uh, I mean, which which line would be better for the wind, or what's maybe I'm jumping in as the newbie, but I'm so fascinated with this. No, no, no. That's, casting that's, in the wind, it gives us a lot more opportunity. But I've just been challenged. I hit myself in the back of the head, and I I wind it up, and I have too much hanging down, and then it, yeah. you know, so it, I only get one out of four that cast correctly. Yeah. Yeah, what you want to do is, I mean, you have to learn to walk before you can run. You don't want 40 feet of line around your feet to cast. Start off with 10 feet. If you can shoot 10 feet, great. Then just build up, do 12 feet, 15, and just extend it. But always use the amount of line out with the, the your hands and the rod handle because uh, you have to manage that line as well. Um, you don't want too much out because it can get caught up and get caught in turbulence if you're, say, thigh deep in uh, water and you will be not tangled, it'll catch on the, on the bottom ring. So you want to try and avoid that. You just have as much thing out as you can manage properly, then build on it. Regarding wind, a windy day, I would be more inclined to use a shooting head because it's shorter, heavier. Uh, which gives you a smaller D loop. Um, also, if you want to present a heavy fly or a heavy sink tip, 
you need a heavier line to do that. Uh -huh. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put, example, for 10 foot of T10 on a 65 foot spay line, you will really struggle to get that to turn over. So it's um, it, it's tools to do the job. Um, a, wind, a windy day, um, and I've been to uh, Argentina, fished the Rio Grande, and uh, that would be almost impossible to fish with a spay line. Um, we're using heavy sink tips, T14, to get down deep with perhaps a heavy fly. And the only way you can get that out to turn over is with a heavy gadget line, which is a short, uh, fat lump of line, really, with a very aggressive rear and front taper. It must be used with a, uh, a short leader and a very fly. Uh, and also, you know, it's really windy down there, or it can be, and it was some days that we were there, and you wouldn't be able to fish unless you're using a scadget line. So, back uh, the one of the questions we talk about, do we put a heavier line compared to the, the rod? Let's say we're fishing a seven-weight rod, and we're putting a seven-weight shooting or seven weight line on it but what some guys i've seen out there they're putting a heavier line like an eight or nine weight line on the seven weight rod to get more weight is that wrong or should you ever not match them up yeah um, sometimes well a good quality rod um if the manufacturer says it's a seven weight you probably could get away with an eight weight i certainly wouldn't do a nine um, Double-handed rods are a bit stronger, and by sheer design, if the rod says a 10 weight on the rod, I would recommend a 10-11 line as opposed to a 9-10, just to give you a wee bit more weight. Uh, I would really try and stick uh, to what, what the manufacturer says. Uh, the, the problem is if you put, say, a 9 weight sinking line or line on a 7 weight rod and the rod breaks, which it could well do, you could overload it. Mm -hmm. um, I think any life warranty, any warranty would be null and void, so you'd have to be careful at that point. Mm -hmm. The one thing you will have to be careful with, as David was saying there, is once you start getting down to the between 14s and 13s, don't just rip that line out of the water. I, I always bring it up into a roll cast first, lay it out, and then continue from there, because that's a lot of weight to rip out of the water. Bring it to the top and lay it on the top before you can, because you will snap. I've had people snap rods because they just thought, right, mine's there, I'll go straight away, lift, bang. Because you see that T14 or whatever the tungsten that the, the sink tips are using, mm -hmm. remember they're down bottom, they are really, really heavy. So bring it up into your road cast, lay it on the water, and then start, because it's on the top. You don't have that, you don't have that resistance. Is there a type of rod that everybody would prefer when you have the medium or fast action? What's the difference there with that line? Because that's where I've been. We've, we're trying all these different lines and different rods, and and um, it it seems that well, I'm not sure. What's what, where's the go-to on? Do you choose always a fast action rod, or do you, when do you choose the different actions? Um, for beginners, I would recommend a medium action. Um, I'm also involved with uh, the Loop Collective team. Uh, I love the Loop rods, and I use that's all I use. Um, I love. I've got a Cross S one fifteen foot, and I love it. Uh, it's a medium to fast, which suits my style of casting. Um, the more advanced you get, experienced, uh, a fast action comes into its own. Um, and I've designed the seven X rod, um, which has got a very very fast action and a very quick tip recovery. Now, if you have to slow motion a cast, when you accelerate your forward cast and you stop, that rod tip still flexes down the way before it recovers. Now, when it goes down the way, obviously it opens up your loop, uh, the bottom leg of your loop. So as you stop, that rod still flexes, but if it comes up quickly, it shuts your loop. Because what you want to achieve is a bullet-shaped loop um, to go forward because it will cut through the air and uh, a fast tip will help you do that. Um, the uh, other way to get a tight loop is to, when you accelerate, you make sure that rod tip goes in a straight line 
they call it a straight rod tip path, and that's an emerging line with the rod tip parallel to the water. You wouldn't, you wouldn't chop the rod down, you would just go pick a point straight ahead of you and go from A to B, stop, let the line go, then follow it down to the surface of the water. Gotcha. And now you brought up, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll segue a little bit here. You mentioned loop and, uh, and I, I was, uh, well, we were turned on by loop, uh, from Wes and, uh, thank you for that. Cause we've developed a, a great relationship with, uh, with loop out here. And maybe you could tell us, I mean, our experience with it has been great. The quality, the quality of the rods, the reels and the line is exceptional. Um, the appearance is exceptional. The performance has been wonderful. Um, I mean, it's kind of funny. We were just talking about the different actions because it's, you know, uh, uh, using the switch rods, medium fast. And I like it. I get it. But then, you know, I got Jeff's casting style and he, he has to work a little bit more for it. And, you know, these different actions and different outfits fit everyone a little bit differently. But maybe you could tell us what is it that moved you towards uh, towards loop or what, what do you favor about the loop rod? Because there's so many different choices out here, especially out here. It's it's we're in, uh, you know, basically we're in we're in Orvis land out here. Mm -hmm. Orvis TFO are probably the two most popular rods I see out at Pyramid Lake. Echo, Echo is very popular as well. So, what what's what's I mean, just your feeling, you know, because you can pick up any rod. So why why was it Loop? Um, to be quite honest, uh, and you've kind of hit the nail on the head a wee bit there. It's a good quality product. It looks good, and in my opinion, it does what it says in the tin. Um, it's a no nonsense product. It's a quality product. I wouldn't use it if it wasn't a quality product. Uh, right. and it is, and I'm more than happy to put my name to I use the rods. Um, they've got an excellent choice of rods uh, to suit all the budgets and experience. So it's, it's like the fishing gear has been designed by fishermen. Um, right. The guys involved with Loop and the, their expert casters know what they're talking about. Um, and the Scandinavians, I don't know if you know, but they're they're very um, they're always there or thereabouts with casting competitions as well. Uh, they know what the game is, they understand the game. Um, so to me, it's a, a product designed by fishermen for fishermen. There's no frills or spills or bells or anything. It's just exactly what you want, and it does the job. I, I've got no hesitation to recommend Loop Tackle to anybody. But the customer service as well. That's the one thing you're paying for with Orvis is customer service. Right. Um, customer service is second to none. We have had guys who have broken tips um, by just mistakes on boats. Um, they've phoned their retailer and it's been sitting there for them on the way home. Or they've brought them to them so they continue their fishing. So, um, honestly, their clothing is second to none. Yeah, we were just talking about that today. Their clothing second to none. Their jackets are second to none. Basically, everything about them. Now, I, I like Sims. I like other stuff as well. But I have never, ever had anything that's kept me waterproof before. You know, we spend £450, say $560 on a jacket here. I get wet. I spend the same value here in, on Loop. I'm going dry. Big difference. A massive, massive I'm not criticizing any other brand. I'm just saying that Loop's brand is better because it's probably made in Scandinavia. It's a Scandinavian brand. They're cold in the winter. They're wet in the summer. You know, so if they're making it and they're using it, it's good stuff. It's you know, it's the same as buying sun cream. You're not going to buy sun cream from Alaska, are you? You might as well buy it from California because you know it works. Right. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and then the um, there was a Loop video. Um, that described their uh, process for making their clothing. And it shows this this uh, guy and gal out in some building in the middle of nowhere designing stuff and literally, have, I mean, they're taking this clothing out. They're taking fly fishing jackets and gear out on dog sleds and going out and in the bitter cold and putting it through that. So it was a pretty interesting process. Um, it, it's fascinating because you, you don't see 
one, you don't see many other clothing manufacturers or, uh, you know, fly fishing manufacturers doing something like that. They're just kind of going to a manufacturer. Hey, I need a waterproof jacket. Well, how's this? Well, how much does it cost? I'll take it because I like that margin and it looks good. Loop's doing a little bit differently. It's it's not about the price because whatever the price is, you're, you're, you're getting an extreme value. You know, if it's a $500 jacket, I mean, that jacket's going to last a long time and do its job, just like you said. So... Um, it's kind of cool that they, they, they transcend, they transcend the product line, not only from the rod, the reel, the line, but even to the clothing. So that, that tells you a little something about the company. So, you know, it, it totally does. I think the clothing's actually made in Sweden. Yeah. I, th- I think the clothing's actually manufactured in Sweden. So it's not a Chinese product. Right. Uh, although some companies do use China. I'm not going to criticize China either, apart from COVID-19, but they, um, they, <laughs> The, um, their, clo- their clothing isn't really, you know, it's all mass produced. There's no care, whereas Loop have individual care. If you have a right. problem, contact Loop, get a new one, send it back, you'll get a new one. It's, it's that simple. There's no arguments with Loop. As long no. as you haven't abused it, um, right. you'll okay. But the one thing that puzzles me all the time in America, you guys are still using seven weight rods for big rivers and stuff like that. Why do you use 10, 11 weight? Why do you go for the big boy stuff and actually get the rod out there? You want you want you want the real feedback on that? Yeah. Our fish are wimpy. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I've got a I had a note from earlier that I'll tell you because I've been I had the um, the long rod. So maybe this yeah. isn't quite the weight rods, but we're fishing eight weights. I've got the thirteen foot two inch, and then I have the eleven foot. Wait, yeah, but right. the spay, the spay, and then the switch the, the rod. Spay and the switch, yeah. And what I felt like with the spay rod is I, it was real big and heavy. And when I was, you know, fishing with it, I was holding more, and my back is more is sore in the middle, like upper middle of my back. So, tell me what what's going on with the the sore back? And I fished all I fish all the time. It's not really going away. That's what I, I'm curious. Right, I, I can answer that through personal experience. I used to use a 15-foot rod. I would make my cast. I would hold it in front of me, stooped over, as you probably do, uh, Jeff. Now, by lunchtime, the bottom of my back is aching, and I've got a pain in the bottom of my neck and between my shoulder blades, uh, and it takes my time to straighten up again. Now, that I did for years, and it's all wrong. Um, what what I do now is I cast, uh, I hold the rod in one hand and I stand completely erect and I hold the rod down by my side. Now, as you probably know, you've got a long handle and a double-handed rod and the balance point is somewhere near the front of the handle. Yeah. So if you hold it at the line in your index finger and just relax, hold it down beside you and follow the line rounds that come round in the current. Now, the back of your handle and your reel is behind you, um, and that's a balance point. And if you stand like that, you wouldn't even know you're holding the rod. It becomes almost weightless because you're holding it by the balance point. So try that, and that should help your back. Okay, yeah, because I'm holding it in front of me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and because I'm ready to, you know, to set the hook because – and now, so that makes me nervous if I'm holding it down oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> I hold it down beside me, it follows it around, and there's nothing to beat that take from a salmon. And you get the pull, you just, just uh, the rod's parallel to the water, you feel the, the, the draw of the fish, just nip, nip the line with the index finger, then let go, then just slowly lift the rod, and that should be him out, uh, hopefully. Um, but try, try that technique if you're in the river um, hold the rod down by your side and one, just totally chill out and enjoy it left hand if it's cold stick it in your pocket let the line come out just fold it the rod by your side once you get in the habit of doing that it becomes natural and trust me you can fish all day without a sore back but that goes through things as well that only stops you from ripping the, the lips off a fish as well because you're not immediately sticking into the fish uh, it's not right. We're treating them like a bass fisherman, you know. Yeah, we're really no, yeah. super hard, but yeah, no, 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 stop that. Honestly, yeah. just let the just let it feel and just nip it with the fingers. David said, and when it's on, just lift, take your finger off and lift the rod, and you're in. You're in straight away. Yeah, the real hook. Yeah. But 
there was a second thing I was going to tell you where I do, I'm not too sure if David does it. I fish the fly on the way around sometimes. So when I'm standing and I'm holding it like a briefcase, mm -hmm. I'll pull yeah. the rod back and forth yeah. once or twice yeah. just to jig the fly. So the fly's moving in the water and, it, and it's moving. Uh, I'll fish it, so I'll just jerk the rod, not jerk, a nice slow pull back, forward, pull back, forward. And that keeps that fly moving in the water. It gives it that nice it's motion. Interesting. Yeah, I like yeah, that. It's a big technique piece right there. Hey, and then and Wes, just to back up, you you're asking specifically why out here in the U.S. more fishermen aren't using you know bigger, longer rods and, and whatnot on the river. And my answer was wimpy fish, but the re the real the real answer the real answer is is well, there's the, I'll give you my opinion. My opinion is right now uh, a lot of river fishermen are stuck. Uh, and even lake fishermen are stuck on a trend of fishing, right? They're stuck on primarily out here. It's this Euro fishing. Um, and number two, quite honestly, uh, I think people's perception of maybe spay or switch fishing, it's very alien, alien to them. And two, uh, for them, it's probably too damn hard. And, and, and let me explain that is because everything that you've gone through this takes time. It takes, it takes effort. It takes patience. Um, and it takes a certain, you know, amount of, of, uh, you know, uh, respect for sport to really get into it. And I notice I hear the trend is people, they just want to get on the water and just rip it up and go. They're not giving them any, they're not giving themselves any time to, to take, to take everything in, to take the experience. And they're just so focused on, I got to get a fish on the end of my line. Well, I mean that's a goal, but we all know everyone in this group here. It's it's more than that, and Ben's the pro at that. <laughs> but um, I and I think that's one of the reasons, and I'm I'm glad you brought this up, Wes. Is is one of the biggest reasons we wanted to have this reach out to you guys and have this conversation and have this podcast is so people can learn a little bit more about it, understand that it is a time thing. It's a commitment. It, it's definitely a commitment. And it, it's a full-fledged effort, you know, on, on, on making it work. And it's not easy. As you can tell, Jeff and I have been doing it for a little while here. Ben's been doing it for a little while here. And, I mean, well, more than a little while. It's been, I mean, another couple months we're going to be on, our, on a full year of a, a lot of on-time water, you know, with this stuff. And we're still trying, you know, to nail it down. I mean, we got the basics down, but there's always questions and there's always enhancements and there's always way to better ourselves and pass that on to somebody. So I just don't think people are, are um, they're not digging into that. And yeah, um, people, you see, I do it. I don't go into the river straight away. I'll watch the river because sometimes you'll see fish jumping, you'll see a fin, you'll see a head. You might see fish moving through. If you jump into that river, you're not you're you're fishing in the dark. Sit back, look at it, see what's happening, see if the water's see if the water level's climbing. See if it's dropping, see what's happening, see how the fish are reacting to it. You know, I do it on still and moving, still water more so. And Daniel David does. He'll go out in the boat and he'll look for fish. He'll look at the he'll look at the water. He'll look at the seams. He'll look at the scum line in the water. He'll he'll look at ripple. He'll look smooth ripple, smooth water to ripple water. He'll look wind direction. There's so much more to fishing and just going on to water and just just making white foam. If you sit back and relax, you will catch fish. Like you have to relax. Just relax and sit back, watch the water for half an hour. Right, the fish are feeding there. What are they feeding on? Let's have a wee look. You'll be on the fish within 20 minutes. Oh, and if you go on there and just use any old fly, any old line, you know, just go and get a dog, get a blind dog you'll be using because you're not going to catch a fish. Can you imagine? Can Ben and Jeff, can you imagine Wes and Dave on Pyramid Lake or the Truckee River? I just feel right now that they would just shame us. <laughs> well, I, I love it, but I love it. No, it's just like it's 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 the it's the depth and the perspective that you guys have. That's that that's awesome. You know, so you can go to any body of water, regardless of where it's at, fish or fish, trout or trout. You know, there's there's inherent instinctive behaviors. Plain and simple, they're all hungry, you know. So it's trying to figure out that habit behavior where they're at, what the you know, what the water's doing, and um, yeah, we're more impatient, I think, as uh, a, totally. as a group. But one totally. thing I'll tell you, what I 
as I envision the spay casting happening, what I like about it is you're not having the back cast. That whole element is reduced. So now you can take the fly fishing to the boats, for example. We had been, um, my dad and I had been down in, in Costa Rica and Mexico, and we were always with the old single-handed rods, and we'd wear leather gloves because we didn't have the the drag line. And we'd be we'd be casting on these boats, you know, and we'd 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 trick the fish up close, and we'd try to make a big back cast, and we never had any idea. Well, now we're fishing uh, Pyramid and Crowley with with these spay casts or roll type casts. And the other thing on the beach at Pyramid, you've got a hundred guys all back casting, and little children run behind them, and they're getting—it's—it's it's a dangerous sport. So people, people hitting the beach—that's classic. You see tufts of sand coming up because these guys are like and the flies are broken. Hands back here. I mean, full full fledged. You guys would probably vomit, get angry, push people off their ladders, yell at them because I mean, literally, it's just like. And we had some. There was a couple weeks ago. We all sat up on the beach, guys, and we were watching this group of guys. And, you know, they were having fun. With their sp- double-handers. With, with, still back casting. Oh, with their double-handers. And, like, the rod tips were basically hitting the sand. And they were, it was like they are casting, like, 12 feet. And these guys these guys were just having a ball. And we're just like, like, this is funny, but, wow, it, thousands it's rough. Of, yeah, thousands of dollars worth of gear. Useless. Snapping the, <laughs> snapping the uh, bugs off on the sand. But nobody, I, I think... Nobody's talking about it. No, on the way, no. nobody's doing it. No. So I think there's a great market for spay casting on the west coast yeah. of the US. Sweat was pouring off them because they were working far too hard. It'd be a mess needing a few beers by lunchtime. But can I just go back to your last last questions here about the and what Wes was saying? There, there's one word that really I can't emphasize how important it is, and that is patience. Be patient learning to cast. And be patient when you're fishing. If you haven't got the P word, the patience, you will not be a good fisher man or a good fish fisher woman. So remember mm-hmm. when you're fishing. Yeah, spay casting is like learning to play the piano. I do mean that. Uh, it's uh, honestly you, you I just quit. <laughs> you really have to take your time and yeah. patience. There is a good watch if if you guys are in the video watch Simon Gosworth okay yeah. from Rio he, he's very good um yeah. and he, it's just the way he explains things with yeah. David that said that to Jenny whenever Jenny was going through her course yeah. so Simon Gosworth from Rio was very good to watch he's got a good explanation he's got a good theory he's got a good practical and to watch that you'll understand a lot more because then it becomes visual you can you can actually work with visual and theory then you can combine the two but um, definitely, you know, I can just envisage it look like something down range on a shooting range, pings, bits of sand flying everywhere with these guys back casting with double handed rods. It's it's a good time. It's a what good you time. Do is, you just check their ladder. Get them and shake their ladder. Get them off their ladder. Take them off. Say, listen guys, throw up, go leave, leave, go away. <laughs> uh, so I, I got I got one one last question for you guys and and normally we dig into the burrito side of things here but since i have uh two international phenomenons that have traveled the world fly fishing i want to ask each of you uh for each of you your either your 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 favorite or your most terrifying or awkward or strange international culinary experience so either the best thing you happen to ever eat was overseas or in some you know faraway land or it was an experience that you wish you could forget and never happen again i was no man in 2001 and we went in we were given we we're just about to fly off from uh, a place called sea any americans on here that were in the uh, u.s marine corps or air force or something might hear of sea it's a big uh, Base in Oman, yep. just going into Afghanistan, and we were giving a night off, and we went down, and all the locals there were quite nice. Oman's actually very, very nice. I know it's a Middle Eastern country, but it's actually very, very nice. So, um, and they were giving us street food, and they had all these chickens in tumble dryers and cages. So you pick your chicken, then it goes to a tumble dryer, it gets killed and gets plucked at the same time, and they bring you out all the street food. <laughs> and uh, we, it's, it's actually, uh, they would get offended if you didn't take their food. 
Uh -huh. So we had three other guys, a guy called Steve Kenny. Um, oh my Lord, what's his name? Almost somebody else. We're walking down. The guy says, come, come, come. I thought, all right, better be careful here. So went in and on the mat is all their food, chicken. And you eat, uh -huh. you eat your bread, you know, you pick your bread, bit your food up and you get little finger bowls. Eat, eating with so, your hands, right, Wes? Yeah. This is going to go two ways, hospital or really good. To this day, it's the best food I've ever eaten, and we never got food poisoning. It was absolutely oh. amazing. That's really good Honestly, That's awesome. beautiful, because we couldn't eat. If I ate something, um, if I had steak, no, no, no other members of the crew could have steak, because right. if he had chicken, nobody else could have chicken, so it stops food poisoning. But this night here, we just thought, we'll be okay. We'll take a gamble, and we survived. <laughs> best food That's ever had. That, that's remarkable because I, I, I have quite a few experiences in that region too, Wes. And I, I, you know, I can't say that they were terrible, but there was consequences. And you're like, I'm never going to do that again. And then you end up doing it again. So, <laughs> hey, Dave, how about, how about you, Dave? Um, uh, not really. I had a bad experience. I, I suddenly love my job. <laughs> uh, I love good food. Uh, I like ordinary food. Um, well, when I was in Argentina, we, we had a barbecue one day, and uh, it was a nice grill type of thing, and uh, the beef and the chicken, that was okay, but there was bits of stuff there, you hadn't a clue what you were eating, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they weren't really going to tell you, because if you knew what it was, you probably wouldn't eat it, so I right. kept away from that and stayed safe, because I didn't want to become ill and miss fishing, so it wasn't really a bad experience, I was more cautious than and adventurous if you like but uh on the whole i just love my grub <laughs> yeah oh absolutely and argentina has some great i mean oh. they really have some great food and their presentations are great even even in the simplest form uh, beef is super. oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely so one thing I would say is don't eat goat in kenya <laughs> <Don't I? laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be I think that's going to be the podcast title. I'm not going to talk about <laughs> the podcast title. is going to be Don't Eat Goat in Kenya. That gets people's attention. Thank you, Wes. <laughs> that's awesome. No, honestly, uh, we were out in Kenya on exercise probably back in 1998. You know, Baku Harim guys were out there. So we're right with the U.S. Marines. And uh, the guys had the thermal for the first time. Uh-huh. And uh, we had to watch for lions. There wasn't that many lions in the area. But we seen something with eyes, and the guy shot it for food. Uh -huh. and, uh, he never came back. We thought, what's going on here? Half an hour he came back, and I heard chains. He'd only shot a farmer's goat. Oh. Chained up. So <laughs> uh, we had to explain that lions had hit it and taken the chain. <laughs> Oh my God! He <laughs> lived in goat for a week, and I got fed up with it. It was disgusting. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> oh my God! That's hilarious. Uh, well, all right, guys, we're we're gonna wrap it up here. Hey, Ben, do you have anything for the guys before we go? You know, I just want to say thank you, um, Wes. Before we go, we we have one more special guest that I see there in your lap. And here, can you can you introduce this guest? Oh, this is Harry. This is my. He's called my shadow. He's always with me wherever I go. He goes. And if I go fishing, he's sat to my left hand side all the time, and he just sits. Usually, when you get a really good cast, his head's right in the middle of it, tangled it. So, other than <laughs> it's all good, Harry. <laughs> he's he's a beautiful dog. Yeah. Nice. And then. And then and one last thing, guys, before we go, for uh, I, I'd like to leave everyone with uh, maybe a way to reach out to you. So let's start with Wes. Um, you're doing some excellent guiding in Scotland. If somebody wants to reach out to you at some point when some of these travel restrictions lift or, you know, if they just go rogue and want to come on over, what's what's a good way to reach out to you? Do you have a website or, or an email address? Yeah, just, just go to Ufie Scotland. You as in you, why are you fish as in fish and Scotland as in Scotland? And just send us an email or just give me a ring. Nice and simple. That's how easy it is. It is. That, that is easy. And Jade, oh, how about how about you? Oh, oh me, yeah. Yeah, um, you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
website as well. Uh, it's called castingtuition.com. Okay. Um, you can get me that way, and uh, all my contact details are on that email. I'll, I'll give you an email address if it's um, any questions, and it's just my name in all lowercase, and that's okay. David F for Foxtrot Matir, and my surname is spelled M A T E E R at yahoo.co.uk. Got it. Got it. Got it. He's writing it down. Perfect. Are you guys going to come over this year? Yeah. Well, when are they going to let us go? Like we, so we had we had our restrictions lifted, and then they got. I think they got pinched back on for the whole UK. So um, maybe in the fall. We think uh, September. Because because we were talking we were talking spring, but I know I don't know how that's going to look now with. Yeah, we'll get uh, what, in September. Just come over because then we can really spend time. We go across to Alan Willett Loop over in the D. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll here as well. And uh, we can go and fish the Tay or the Spay. We can probably do two or three rivers. The Devron's a really nice river. Um, we've got loads of rivers, so there's no problems. Just get your ass over here and we'll go fishing. Yeah, we demo right. teaching right. to do that because it's easier to see it rather than talk about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It'd be great if we could come over there and do some. Yeah, we'll come to you. Over there. That'd, that'd be yeah. yeah yeah perfect That's yeah thanks well, so we'll have a sorry yeah thanks very much for having me on and can i wish you all tight lines for the coming season yeah great thank, thank you. you and i appreciate thank you guys you. coming on in short notice we, we always we, we love having we love having you on west thank you and thank you david for for coming it's great to meet you and uh you're loaded with information it was it was great that you can make the time to join us today really appreciate you taking the time pleasure guys thank you yeah, okay. thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies. And until next time, tight lines. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Cheers, Nico. Bye bye. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Someone's always there 